Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. And we will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and they'll provide you with the guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. My guest today is producer and author Jason Brubaker, and he'll be coming up in just a moment. I'm going to tell you a whole lot more about him, but first let me tell you the chat room is open. If you're listening live, join us in the chat room right now and spend the remaining time during the show with us in the chat room. If you're listening to this archive, that option is not available to you. The good news is that all of these discussions record live and are then are archived. And they're archived right at Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official URL is R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. That's my name, Rex Sykes dot com. At the interviews blog. So you go to Rex Sykes dot com, hit the interviews blog button, and uh, and it'll open up a bunch of different biography pages. Scroll through, look for the person's name who you want to listen to, live or archived, and then read their biography. And right there inside that is links to listen to the show, live or archived. All right. They're also stored as podcasts at the iTunes store, so you can download them to your favorite electronic device. What I ask you to do, whether you're listening live or archived right now, is just reach out and invite other people to join you. Share the URL, URL tweet it, Facebook it, uh, Pinterest it, whatever your favorite social uh, networking means is. Spread the word near and far that uh, you're listening to the Rex Sykes Movie Beat show, and the guest is Jason Brubaker. And that other people should join you in listening. And then the other thing we ask of you, since MovieBeat is really designed to be a resource for you, that's why I'm connecting you up with all these people who are making it happen, is to just leave comments. Leave comments on Twitter. I'm sorry, on Twitter. You can leave comments on Facebook. Leave comments at the player where you're listening to this program and or rate and review the podcast. Because when you do that, it increases our, our, our net uh, visibility. It extends the reach of the show and my guests to people who may not have yet discovered it, and it it, it, uh, optimizes our presence in the search engines. So please do always leave comments before leaving the show. All right. So let me tell you about my guest. Jason Brubaker is a producer. He's passionate about helping other filmmakers make their movies and apply proven marketing strategies to reach a global audience through new movie distribution models. Now, he's over a decade of movie-making experience, and he's produced numerous shorts and three feature films, including Special Dead, Rattle Basket, and Toxic Soup. Jason is a contributing author of The Independent Guide to Film Distributors, a 2009 independent media publications, and founder of Filmmaking Stuff, an educational resource for independent filmmakers and screenwriters. Jason has uh, lectured on these subjects to filmmakers from around the globe at the main media workshops, and he began his movie-making career paying his dues at the Savoy Market Production Company in Pennsylvania. 
In January 2002, Jason took a bite out of the Big Apple, New York, where he worked in story development for an independent producer. And there he read hundreds of screenplays, learned how to raise money for movies, and built lasting relationships with independent filmmakers. Coinciding with producing and teaching, Brubaker also served as executive for Lehman Brothers, one of the biggest investment banks in the world, uh, where he learned sales, finance, and negotiation with heavy hitters and cutting-edge internet marketing strategies, which he now applies to his film marketing efforts. Jason resides in L.A., where he can be found most of the days in a mad dash hustle, working to produce his next feature film. So without any further hesitation, uh, let me... uh, Bring Jason back. This is actually part two. If you didn't listen to Jason's uh, earlier discussion with me on Rex Sykes Movie Beat, you can go and do that anytime at your leisure, 24-7, because as I said, they're all archived. Hi, Jason. How are you doing? Hey, Rex. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great, thank you. It's good to have you back on the show. I trust all has been well. Maybe you want to catch some listeners up from the last time when we spoke a, a while back. Yeah, things uh, things since that time have, have moved along pretty quickly. Um more and more of, of what we talked about in the previous session, which was sort of the emerging uh, platforms for filmmakers that enable them to get their movies seen and sold around the world, uh, a lot of that has evolved, and it, and it continues to evolve day by day. So a lot of the things that we talked about before that, that may have just been theory, I think it's becoming more and more commonplace. Um, and one of the big topics that we're going to cover, I'm sure, in a lot of detail is what used to be called self-distribution. Uh, but I've now tried to eliminate that from uh, the filmmaking, <laughs> the filmmakers' vocabulary. Uh, and and why is that? Well, what's happening right now, at least in my world? I, yeah, I'm getting. I'm hearing a little bit of uh, some background noise there. Yeah, yeah, there was a little noise here, so I'm I'm just managed to uh, quiet that. So sorry, I apologize. You're you're, you're, you're watching a movie as we're talking. <laughs> no, I actually, uh, that's my cell phone that went off, and I forgot to silence it. I thought I had. So it's, it's a cardinal uh, rule. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. I, I violate my own my own, my own, own rules. So go for it. Yeah. I'm sorry, I apologize. Yeah. No, no. Uh, so a lot of what's happened, and the reason why I try to eliminate the word self-distribution, and, and I've been talking about it a lot, I, I go to, uh, since you and I last spoke, I've been to quite a few different film festivals, or, or, well, all over the country, um, including Sundance, where I talk about this kind of stuff, and I get a lot of questions from filmmakers. And one of the things that, that continually came up in questions was um, this term of, you know, the old term of self-distribution and, hey, I hope somebody's going to pick up my film. And I, it just annoys I guess that's the best way I can state it, Rex. It annoys me that people are still dependent upon other people to pick up their film because the last time I checked, a lot of the places where we used to rent videos in the context of, like, uh, you know, DVD distribution, you know, a lot of those video stores are no longer in existence. So the question is, if somebody were to, quote, unquote, pick up your film, where are they going to take it? Uh-huh. And my response to that is a lot of these uh, emerging video-on-demand outlets and Internet marketplaces, such as iTunes, Amazon, uh, Hulu, to name a few. And so if self-distribution, if you can access the same marketplaces as a middleman. Oh, that and makes sense. Exactly. And my whole soapbox there is sort of like, well, you know, why wouldn't you want to make market and sell your movie without the middleman, especially now that those marketplaces are accessible? 
unless, of course, they're offering something beyond access. Because a little-known secret is filmmakers can now access the vast majority of those marketplaces on their own, and they don't need a middleman. And in the areas where they do need a middleman, um, you know, I'm currently serving as the director of operations, I I should say the interim director of operations, uh, at a movie aggregator called Distriber. And what uh-huh. makes this company, and what makes the company a little bit different than some of the other, you know, traditional middlemen, is the way it works is if a filmmaker has a title that they're pretty convinced is going to exist and and do pretty well without a middleman, they go to distributor, they pay an upfront, a one-time upfront uh, fee, and then they can access the marketplace of their choice. And then the distributor pays them 100% of their revenues minus a, a yearly maintenance fee, and that's it. And, uh, you know, there's no sort of long-term, you're locked in for life contracts. That stuff's old school. So it, it's very, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about this idea of let's eliminate the word self-distribution from our vocabulary and let's start thinking about our our movie business is sort of like a mini studio um, in, in very much the same vein as what Roderick Corman was doing back in the day. I like the logic. I really do. I like the thought. I've, I, I have always, <laughs> frankly, I've always said that I think the time is right for studios to emerge again, and and but if not in in actual practice, at least in mindset. So what you're saying resonates well with me. Yeah, I think you know there's, there's a lot of, and I'm sure a lot of filmmakers because I get these questions too. Is is how large can you build a movie um, in terms of scope and scale, right? Because the more the the bigger your budget, the more money you're going to have to recruit if you're if you're you know if you take that seriously in your movie making business. Um, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of different movies out here in Los Angeles where people raise money, they make a movie, and then the movie dies in quiet obscurity, and they're like, oh well, that one didn't work, so let me go repeat the process, raise some more money, make another movie, and see if that one you know actually has some success or doesn't have success. And I feel like that's the that's you see that a lot where where people are very good at burning other people's cash and never really showing anything for it. So that's certainly one way to go about it. But from my perspective, now that distribution channels are non-discriminatory and you can access them, I don't think there's any excuse for a filmmaker to be sloppy. I think these days filmmakers have to look at their business plan and really take a strong look at it and say, you know what, I'm going to approach the marketplace and get out there. How much is it going to cost me for marketing? And then they have to budget that within their initial budget, which is a little bit of a different mindset than what we've had in the past. Uh, agreed. And, and again, I, I like that very much. Uh, and I know later we'll talk about some crowdfunding and things like that as well and raising money for your movies. But but, I mean, typically a lot of people go into it thinking, well, okay, I, I have pre-production needs and production needs, and they sometimes forget post-production and or they forget the marketing and the aftermath of, of actually making a movie and where they're going to put it and how they're going to get it out and whether they're going to, you know, send it to festivals and all that kind of stuff. So so uh, you're advocating, you know, the idea of, of setting up, you know, your finances for your tail end of the movie before you actually make the movie, and that's a very smart and wise thing to to suggest. You really have a marketing plan that's set up to where you know your target audience and you have a plan for reaching them, and you also have a good idea for how much that's going to cost. That's excellent. That's excellent. 
And if you want to get right. really nerdy, then you figure out um, how many of those people you're reaching, and if only a small percentage buys your movie, um, then how many units do you have to sell, you know, to make it a viable business? Uh, a quick question, because I mean, you mentioned it earlier, and, and I and I just want just for the listener, I wanted to say, okay, so if 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 I can do it without the middleman, how do I do it? Do I just pick up the phone and call these places, or uh, I can drop them an email off their websites? How, how do I how do I as a filmmaker with a movie uh, now take the place of somebody else who used to do it? What what is, is that? How available it is? Well, it's available with certain services out there. And when I say without the middleman, I guess I need to really uh, refine what I'm saying there. You still need somebody for a lot of these marketplaces like Hulu and iTunes. You still need a middleman, and, and, and what they're called these days is video aggregators. These are people um, like the company Distributor where they have relationships with these outlets. But unlike a traditional middleman that's going to say, hey, give us your movie, and you may or may not see any revenue, and by the way, um, we're going to have a whole bunch of creative accounting, so even if the movie does make some money, we're going to make sure that you don't make any money. Um, which, you know, I guess that's, that's that may be a, a kind of a – I'm not trying to generalize. There's a lot of people out there in this business that are good, good people. It's just – with my experience in my initial features, there were a lot of these traditional middlemen that came up to us, and they're like, hey, we'll, we'll get your movie out into the, into the video-on-demand marketplace, um, and, but you'll probably never see any money. And then I'm thinking, like, well, what's the value in that? Or even back then, there were, there were video stores where, where the traditional distributor would say, we'll get you into the, you know, into the local video store, and you'll be able to see your, your movie on the shelf. And then we're like, well, okay, what's an upfront cash advance? And they're like, there is none. And they're like, well, are we going to get paid ever? And they're like, um, most likely not. Wow. So that's what I mean with the traditional middleman, where, where it's somewhat of a, you know, I, I felt bullied. You know, it's the best way to, that I can think to describe it. And so now there's companies like Distributor, which says, you know what, we understand where you're coming from. You already have, you know, 10,000 Twitter followers and you have an email list of, you know, thousands of people that want to see your film and you just had this great crowdfunding campaign. Um, so why do you need a middleman if you've already sourced your target audience? And so, you know, to, to get back to your question, some of the outlets you can access on your own, like Amazon's CreateSpace, it's incredibly easy to access. You go there, you upload information about your movie, and within roughly 90 days, your title can be seen and selling within Amazon, which is a pretty significant marketplace. Um, um, the other ones, like iTunes and, and like I mentioned, Hulu and, and some of the other marketplaces, you're still going to need somebody that has that relationship, a video aggregator. But when you approach those video aggregators, you just have to make sure that the deal makes sense for your title. What you don't want to do is get in a situation where you sign away your movie for X number of years and you have no say in terms of what happens. And yeah, that, I've heard count. Go ahead, Brett. Well, I was going to say, is, is, I mean, is that a likely possibility with these aggregators that you're discussing? Um, with some of the with some of the aggregators, I mean, there's a lot of really good ones out there that try to be fair. I mean, that's one of the cool things that's happened. But unfortunately, you still have a lot of the uh, traditional DVD distributors that are looking to tackle this new video on demand marketplace. And they're trying to use the old paradigm 
they're trying to pretend that the old paradigm still works with video on demand, and it doesn't. In the old paradigm, if you were a guy that had relationships with, like, some of the video stores and some of the retail DVD outlets, you already knew that you were going to sell X number of physical copies of a title because you were actually dealing in physical DVDs that had to be manufactured, uh, produced, and shipped to uh, the various physical marketplaces to get on the shelves. And in that world, there was tremendous value to having a middleman because you couldn't, as a filmmaker, you didn't have those relationships. You didn't know how to manufacture that many DVDs and ship them out in, in a way that would be cost-effective, that you could scale and get them into, like, you know, a gazillion different um, retail outlets out there. But think about it now, and it's sort of what we hit on earlier, is if, if the only thing that this guy is promising is to get your movie into iTunes, well, where's the value in that? And that's the question that, that you have to ask as a filmmaker these days. Where's the value in, in that? If you're just being my toll booth and you're going to throw my title up against the wall and see if it's successful for you and you're going to retain 15% or even more percentage of, of, of the revenue, um, I, I sure hope you're doing something beyond just providing access to the marketplace. So to rephrase it again, in the past, providing access to the marketplace was the value. And now, you know, it's, it's sort of like, wait a second here. I can do that too. What do I can need you, you for? Go ahead. Sorry. Continue. No, just, I did. Uh, that, that was the end of my wonderful statement there, Rex. <laughs> I did want to, I did want to step on the last few words. Uh, can you can you explain uh, what it means to to be an aggregator to the listeners? Sure, uh, an, an aggregator is a third party. It's a company that's set up and it creates relationships with these various marketplaces online. And what they do is they source titles from filmmakers within various genres. And then they'll turn over and they'll go to the marketplace and they'll have, you know, they may make, they may submit uh, a few dozen titles to the various marketplaces at a time. So they've already done the work of, of going out and sourcing the titles and then they flip them over to the marketplaces. And then because the marketplace trusts the aggregator, um, it, it sort of greases the wheels to get the filmmaker's uh, title from point A to point B. So the reason why I, you need them is go ahead. Go ahead. Go no. Go ahead. I was gonna, I was going to say the reason why you need them is a lot of these marketplaces like iTunes do not want to deal with the individual filmmaker. Okay. Um, because you know, and I can't I can't speak for iTunes. I mean, I mean I don't know, you know I use that as an example. But there's a few of those marketplaces out there that really just want to have wholesale relationships and not retail relationships. I guess that's one way to state it. Sure. Well, well, so then let me – I've got a couple of questions that that follow from this. And one is, um, then let's say I do a horror film or I do a romantic comedy. I'm looking for an aggregator who uh, is more fairly genre-specific to what I do, what they're successful at, and, and try to pick one that says does – you know, is, is in the business with romantic comedies or does sci-fi or or does action flicks or something along those lines. Is that correct? Um, that's one way to look at it, and I think that that's a smart way to look at it. I just haven't seen that out there with the aggregators. What I see are people out there that have a relationship with, like, let's say, you know, iTunes or one of those major marketplaces. 
and they're not really focused on on sourcing genre specific titles. Okay. And and if they are focused on sourcing genre specific titles, then the next question is, you know, and, and that would lead me to believe that these guys are very focused and they already have a huge mailing list that can reach a target audience that's geared up for that type of title. Okay. I haven't seen that evolution take place just yet and you know, I'm, I welcome anybody that's listening to this to email me, you know, some companies that are out there uh, that are very specific to the genre. No, I mean, that's, that's a great answer. I appreciate that. How about this question? You know, we talked about Amazon a moment ago, that I, that I as a filmmaker or any filmmaker out there can go to Amazon and within a short period of time have the film up. Does it benefit me to do that, or does it – or can it be potentially harmful for me to do that if I'm seeking a relationship with an aggregator? Um, it, it really depends on the aggregator and, and the type of relationship that they're seeking with you. Some of these guys want to really have the cream of the crop, um, you know, in terms of they want uh, the, the right of first exposure. They want to be the person that takes the title out there into the marketplace and really exploit it. And the reason for that is a lot of these aggregators are, are hooked up and they may have a relationship with some of the major studios um, that can get you out there on, on cable VOD. And if you go out there and you spread your title all over, you know, God's green earth, there's a fear that it may take the wind out of the sails for these other guys to pick up your movie. But again, so bottom, it back to, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, to, to, if I understand you right, the bottom line then is, is the filmmaker needs to be smart. I just made a movie. I'm so anxious to get it out there. I go to Amazon and I put it up and I and I put it on you know something on someplace else or whatever, and I start spreading it around. It's better to be wise about this and do my homework on the aggregators and and check those all out before I rush into just slamming my movie up on the internet somewhere. Well. Very true, but then it, it, the bigger the bigger picture is: Do you need a traditional aggregator that's going to take money off the back end? In so other words, what? Yeah, I was just going to say. So but, if I could do it myself, then fair enough. But but if not, so go ahead. I, mean, I want I want you to answer. I don't want to I don't want to step in the middle yeah, of it. Well, I mean, it, it's going to. So part of it is is this belief that these aggregators can hit a switch and suddenly you're going to make millions of dollars with your movies, and that's just right. not true. So we have to really manage our expectations. And, and it goes back to, you know, the difference between retail and video-on-demand distribution in the sense that in retail um, DVDs, like I was saying earlier, is you could come up with thousands of units and really get a good idea of how much you were going to sell to the marketplace because they were all physical products. But in this world that we live in, now you upload it once. And if the only thing that this other aggregator is offering you is, hey, we deal with horror movies and we get them up on iTunes, and that's all they're doing is they're just helping you get a movie on the iTunes, uh, then the question becomes, you know, and they want a big percentage off the back end, and you're locked away in some sort of deal where you can't, it's all creative accounting, so you're not even sure how many units you're selling. You know, is there value in that anymore? I mean, that's a real question because uh, you can go out there now and just get your movie on iTunes yourself. 
But but what you're advocating, I mean, so that so, I mean, because this, this all is is really useful material, really great information. What you're advocating, because you're talking about you know budgeting in advance of your film, you know, marketing and and having a business plan and having a strategy of how you want to do things. So so in the in the what when you're like okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to make a movie, let's say tomorrow, and I've got this idea and it's being scripted and everything. I, at this point, could be writing a business plan about what I plan to do and how much I need to make it and how much I need, you know, for posts and how much I need for my festival, but what my marketing plan is and how I'm going to get to different places. In in other words, I, I would imagine that the notion of hybrid distribution still exists and that I would say, well, maybe I can put it up on Amazon, but I can find somebody else who's not going to take massive percentages who will get it on a video demand somewhere else or get into the, into you know places that I couldn't reach and between you know and so I need to maintain certain rights and and then I also either have to give away or sell or license certain rights um to others so am I close to understanding what you're saying? Yeah, what you're, what you're saying now is you as a filmmaker are taking responsibility for the marketing, sales, and distribution of your title. And you're planning that out, and you're doing it in such a way that you now know exactly step-by-step step how you're going to systematically approach the marketplace. And that's the same, and, and I know, Rex, you know a little bit about your history, and you've been in some other businesses. Uh, I know you've been in the movie business for a long, long time, but prior to that, you've done a lot of other business. And yep. this should, to anybody with some sort of business mindset, sound like, you know, it's really business 101. Uh-huh. I always give the example of I want to start a yogurt stand on the corner. So what's my goal? Well, my goal is to, to make the best frozen yogurt there is and then <laughs> attract my target customer but keep the customer for life. And I'm not hiring anybody else to come in because, I'm, I'm you know, I'm a small outfit. I don't I don't really have the resources to hire somebody else, to you know, a whole other company to come in and sell the yogurt. I'm going to manufacture the yogurt, and I'm going to find my customers, and I'm going to give them their yogurt. And it's sort of the same thing these days for, for movies, in the sense that even though we've been mentioning aggregators and kind of putting it in the context of a traditional distributor, I'm going to go back and say, you know, you've got to approach each one of those channels, like you're saying, in the initial marketing plan to determine what's the right fit for your title, based on the scope and scale of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So we have come full circle. In other words, we can no longer merely be artists or the auteur. We can't, you know, we can't just focus on the show side of it. If if we want to get it to an audience and make some money, <laughs> you know, maybe we don't make untold riches. But in, in other words, you know, it's not a crapshoot anymore. It's not I, I can't manufacture something and just necessarily pass. I, there may be still avenues where I could pass it along, but but you know, the what you're advocating and and what appears to be uh, the new benefit to all of us is that the filmmaker really can now be responsible for not only the production of the film and the post-production, but the afterlife of the film. Uh, Absolutely, and and I think you have to take responsibility for it. And that, I think, you know, just based on me going out on the speaking circuit and having these conversations with filmmakers, uh, some folks that think the way I think, um, which admittedly might be a little bit crazy, uh, they see the real value in that. <laughs> but some of the other filmmakers, like you said, all they really want to do is make a movie. They don't want to deal with this crap. 
And I can understand that. I mean, I'm a guy that spends, I don't know, 60, 70% of my time on the Internet trying to learn new marketing tactics that I can share uh, with the audience over filmmaking stuff so that, you know, in a sense, I make this job a little bit easier for them. But I also get countless uh, requests for me you know, people want to hire me to come and do all this stuff because this is anymore. This is pretty much my wheelhouse. This is the kind of stuff I'm interested in. And and now taking on this role with Distriber, I'm able to really get a good idea of you know what happens on the inside and and really see how a movie goes um, out of the filmmaker's hands and gets into the marketplace, and also get a good idea on how successful some titles are versus other titles. And so it's a pretty cool approach. But the question is, you know, are you an entrepreneurial filmmaker, somebody that's willing to start your own filmmaking business, or do you want to be like an employee filmmaker, somebody that's waiting for somebody else to discover your talent so that they give you permission to do what it is that you want to do anyway? And my whole thing is why wait? You know, why ask permission to make movies? You don't have to anymore. And I know, uh, you know, one of the biggest things to come along to kind of help us prove these concepts is crowdfunding. And crowdfunding, going back to this whole thing where you have an idea for a movie, crowdfunding serves three purposes. And I will tell you, you know, um, the company distributor that, that I work for is owned by Indiegogo, which is one of the big crowdfunding companies. So indirectly, I'm exposed to a lot of uh, crowdfunding information, and, and I sort of see them as going hand in hand. And, and here's why. Uh, most filmmakers look at crowdfunding and say, wow, this is a great way for me to raise money for my movie. Finally, I just sent out a couple emails to my social networks and uh, tweet about this, and now I suddenly have money. But what crowdfunding really allows you to do, aside from getting money, is number one, it allows you to create a campaign and test the reach of your social networks and reinforce your social networks. Um, and in doing so, you're able to test your marketing concept before you jump into your movie project both feet first. So, okay, you have this great idea for a zombie movie. Well, you think it's great and you think it's brilliant, but how's the marketplace react to it? So you go out and you create a crowdfunding campaign and you give away certain perks that allow people to either get behind your, your project or say, you know what, I, I don't really support this. I, I don't think it's a good idea. Well, I think it's far better to know whether or not you have a good marketable idea long before you actually make your movie, which is cool because it's sort of like a crystal ball into the future. Crowdfunding is secretly pre-sales. You know, you're testing your marketing concept. You're selling various units um, of your title before you even get your title into the marketplace. So number one is crowdfunding allows you to test the marketing concept. Number two is for people that have never heard of you or your work, crowdfunding allows you to source your initial target audience. So assuming that your campaign is successful and you build buzz, your friends tell their friends and their friends tell their friends and their friends tell their friends, and now suddenly you've built a pretty good mailing list for your work long before you even made your, made your movie. And then, of course, the third benefit to crowdfunding is you, if you're successful, uh, you get the money that you were trying to raise. So it's sort of a, like a three-part um, approach to testing your movie before you even make your movie. And then from there, you can determine whether or not you want to go forward with that zombie movie, or maybe 
you know, okay, that wasn't successful. <laughs> let me shift gears, and next time let me do a werewolf movie, or you, know, you can tell I love the genre-specific movies, but uh-huh. like a romantic comedy. Or <laughs> well, so so what you're saying is, let's say I say, I, okay, I got this idea for a zombie movie. Uh, I'm going to run an Indiegogo campaign or a Kickstarter campaign or whatever whatever crowdfunding source there is out there today or in the future. And I start this campaign, and it flops, I then could go, well, maybe people aren't buying zombies anymore. I mean, in other words, it, it does allow me to test that the market. Uh, on the other hand, could I just be missing the market that's into zombies? Because I don't have, you know, my my group isn't the group I need to be hitting. You know, in other words, it gives me information either either that the genre didn't I, – I couldn't sell the genre to the people I'm appealing to. Maybe I could sell it elsewhere, but I don't know where that elsewhere is, and I need to find out. Sure. You, you're, you're right on the front that there are more than just testing your own social network um, towards the viability of your, of your movie. There's quite a few other factors that, that need to come into play. Um, but I would say if you can at least get your initial friends and family to support your project, maybe something severely missing uh, from your crowdfunding campaign. So in other so, words, that, that, but no, but I mean, let me stop you there because I want to ask because this, sure. is a, this yeah. is, sounds like a, an important piece. So let's say I, I have all my ducks in a row and, and I've got some support and I run the campaign. I just don't get any support. Maybe it's not the genre. Maybe it's not the audience. Maybe it's something I've missed or something I'm not offering or somehow the way I've conceived the campaign or the way I've, I, you know, in other words, just like a political yep. candidate, maybe I'm not marketing my my idea very successfully. Yeah, maybe you're not speaking to the right audience. Um, uh, and, and working, you know, under under the umbrella of Indiegogo, I, I work hand-in-hand with a gentleman named Adam Chapnick. Uh, he's the CEO of Distriber, um, but he's also – big into crowdfunding, obviously, because Indiegogo owns Distriber. And from that perspective, I've been able to watch Adam speak. So I'm going to share some of the tips that Adam shares. And, you know, I give him full credit for uh-huh. this information. And you can also find this on the Indiegogo blog, which is a huge resource. Um, there's a great article that they've created out there called The Six Indiegogo Actions that you need to take with all of your crowdfunding campaigns. And first of all, you have to, and, and if you're missing any of these, um, you know, your rate of success goes down. So the first thing is you've got to have a pitch video. And as filmmakers – go ahead, Rex. I, I didn't quite hear what you said. You've got to have what? You have to have a pitch video, a pitch video. Pitch video. Uh, you're pitch, yep, you're pitching your concept to the marketplace. You've created a great video to tell people about the wonderful movie that you're going to create. And that pitch video, because you're a filmmaker, you know, it should be personable – it should be you talking. You want to get people to know you and know your work and see your passion, but also uh, assuming that you're going to be um, communicating to some other people that are very interested in independent film, um, your pitch video you know, should convey everything that you wanted to say in a concise manner. Um, some people, that may, make, that may mean that you create a really high production va- value video other people, it might mean that you create a down-and-dirty raw video because maybe that one's more successful for the types of folks that you're looking to attract. Uh, you so, want to offer – yeah, go ahead. Would, so, but Because uh, this is interesting. This is fascinating. In other words, 
let's say I've got, uh, I don't know, 200 followers and I'm on Twitter, or I've got 5,000 followers, I've got 20,000 followers, uh, you, uh, uh, am I doing a shotgun approach? I mean, how do I craft my my campaign um, wisely? Is there a way for me to get some kind of market demographic, or can I can I find out who my uh, people are that I'm trying to target, or do I you know find some kind of online you know list of people I can you know <laughs> I don't know if they even have them, but like they used to sell mailing lists you know in in businesses that they have like online email lists of people who like a particular type of movie. I mean, in other words, how do I how do I be smart about my pitch and don't well, just make some generic pitch that that goes nowhere? Well, your your pitch can evolve. You could exchange your videos later, um, uh, but but what you're asking is is a two part question. One is you mentioned some of the followers that you already have. Now, a lot of these people are close people who already know you and know your work. You know, uh, just like you and I are Facebook friends, um, I, I can sort of see from time to time your updates. I know what you're up to, and it, it's that kind of thing where the pitch toward to me may be a little bit different because you already know me, and I already know you or know of you. But if you're going beyond your own network and you want to access these bigger marketplaces, then it would behoove you to, just like we were talking about your distribution strategy, to create somewhat of a marketing plan on how you're going to expand your reach. Now, we've used the horror genre a lot, and I, I like it because the horror genre is great in the sense that you already have a whole bunch of people that enjoy horror movies, and there's a whole bunch of, of uh, publications out there that are already geared towards horror enthusiasts. So if you wanted to go, like you said, and, and really expand your reach and do some, some sort of marketing campaign specific to your crowdfunding campaign, uh, which gets a little bit layered and could get a little bit expensive, you know, again, you're going to have to determine whether or not the, the, the juice is worth the squeeze, as they say. <laughs> but, but you could very much approach like a Fangoria and, and um, you know, put an ad in that magazine, which is already reaching a whole bunch of people, to say, hey, come support my movie. And you could have a link back to your crowdfunding campaign. So that would be one way to do it. Um, you did mention something else about buying lists. Uh, you uh -huh. can buy mailing lists that are geared towards specific uh, target demographics out there. Uh, I will tell you that you would want to do that with physical postcard mailings. If you were to do that and buy email lists, the vast majority of email lists are um, – I, I don't recommend that. I probably <laughs> bad. It's spam. People have yeah. never heard of you. It, it, it can be illegal in a lot of instances, and uh, it's just bad business practice to buy email lists, unfortunately, because I think that would make our lives a lot easier. Uh, sure. But what you could do is when you're planning your crowdfunding campaign and you're creating your pitch video, uh, create a list of the top 50 publications that are already geared towards your target audience, and these publications can be both online and offline. And then reach out to them, especially if it's an online blog. Reach out to them and see if you could write a guest article for their blog. Um, filmmakers have done this with a lot of success uh, with filmmaking stuff, for example. I'm a busy guy, and it's incredibly challenging, as I'm sure you know, to come up with um, new article ideas and, and keep pushing forward all the time so that you have fresh content. It's, I always find it refreshing when somebody approaches me professionally and says, hey, 
Um, we're running a crowdfunding campaign right now, and I'd like to uh, express with your readers the top five things, you know, the top five mistakes that you shouldn't do with crowdfunding. And that's that's an actual example of a, of a guest article that's on my site. Now, I'd never heard of these filmmakers before, um, but they approached me in such a professional manner that, uh, you know, and, and their, their email to me just it had really clear, concise writing. And I thought, yeah, these guys, sure, go ahead, write that article. Be happy to post it, um, which I did. And now it's reaching X number of hundreds of people a day. Cool. You would do the same thing in your own crowdfunding. The only thing with that is it's just going to be very time-consuming. So you're going to want to have some partners in your crowdfunding. Now, Adam Chapnick talks about having uh, four partners. So these are four people that are actively acting on a campaign, and that would mean you want to do a lot of outreach to other websites that are already targeting your uh, supposed demographic. Um, going back to these six key Indiegogo actions, uh, you want to offer three or more perks. You want to update every few days. Uh, you want to post media to your gallery. And you want to link to uh, your other pages out there. And here's a big kicker is you want to have your campaign running less than two months. Can I ask a question? And then we're going to have to take a break in, in just a minute or so. But uh, sure, absolutely. When, when it comes to um, perks, like w what are some d decent perks? Now, I'm I'm a firm believer. Of, this is me. Um, I don't think you should ever give away a, a producer credit for somebody who puts money in a film, any which way. I know sometimes you have to, but i, I just I I like preserving the integrity of a producer credit. And not making you know six hundred people executive producers because they contributed money, but so so uh, if I have a campaign, I, I that's one thing I probably don't offer. But but what can I offer? I mean, what makes sense to offer? What do what do people like? What do people want? What do people need to get their hands on from from the filmmaker? Do you have any any thoughts on that? What what makes a good perk? Yeah, um, well, you know, and, and again, I, I use uh, Indiegogo and the, and the things I've learned from Adam Chapnick and, and those folks over there. But what they talk about is, in terms of perks, there's two things that you get. Either it's something, um, you know, physical or that you can hold in your hands, or it's an experience. Uh, so, you know, the physical, one of the easiest physical things that you can give somebody is a copy of the DVD. Um while DVDs are still in existence. After right. that, you might give them, you know, a free, like an iTunes card. Um, for example, if one of your destinations is to get out on iTunes, uh, you might give them an iTunes card that's going to cover the cost of watching the movie on iTunes, that kind of thing. Oh, that's that's cool, yeah. So, so one is the view, you know, enable them to actually view the movie that they've helped create. Um, Indiegogo talks about having um, a $25 perk and a $100 perk as being the most two essential perk amounts that you should have out there. I also, uh, in, in you know, in listening to Adam talk, uh, he talks a lot about the $1 perk, and that's really interesting as well. Do you give something for a dollar or you just say thank you? <laughs> well, that's up to you. I mean, there's some people that will write a thank you note. Uh, if you have a couple thousand followers or, or people that have signed up for the dollar perk, uh, that could that could hurt your wrist after a while. There was one guy out there, and I, 
I forget the example, but there's a lot of these examples where somebody give a, you know, creates some perk that sounds a little bit outrageous, and then that becomes the most popular perk. Uh, one one gentleman, uh, right now, the last I heard, is, is making like a, a few hundred thank you videos, <laughs> where he's creating one YouTube video per person that donated to thank them, and wow. uh, that's become a project in and of itself to fulfill all of those perks. Wow, amazing. So, um, and then we're going to take a break. Going back to the 25 and the $100 as as, as notable uh, pricing points, um, that's not saying you don't have anything else, but that with all, you go dollar five, ten, you want to make sure that you hit 25 and you want to make sure you hit 100 and then you might go 250 500 whatever the other increments are, right? Yeah, and the reason for that is um, there are people out there, like, for example, like let's say you have the $500 perk. And now you've made a zombie movie, and you and and for five hundred dollars you can come on the zombie movie and get your head cut off. There's people out there that may have the money, and they've always wanted to to do to do that kind of thing, but they've never they've been so busy with their other businesses. It's still in the back of their mind, and it would be fun for them. But they're like, man, I don't have time to make my own movie. But wait a second, here's something I can buy into, so I can have this experience. And sure, that's worth it to me. That's um, very so that, cool. You know, so that's the way to think about these things is why wouldn't you have, like, a really awesome perk? And the flip side of that is the dollar perk. Um, the reason for that, and I don't have the stats right in front of me, but there's a certain uh, there's a certain percentage of people that come on their crowdfunding campaign and they don't necessarily buy into it, but they'll share it with a whole bunch of people, especially if they think right. it's a good campaign. Uh-huh. The $1 perk kind of gets them into the game, and then, you know, once they pay that dollar, uh, then they alert all of their social networks, which happens very easily with these uh, crowdfunding companies, you know, these platforms. They enable to you, once you make, once you donate to somebody, um, then a couple clicks of the mouse, uh, you notify your Twitter feed, your Facebook friends. All these other people now know that you've made a donation, or, or I should say you've, you've sponsored this movie or you're, you're behind the crowdfunding campaign, now they all know that you've taken part in that. And for $1 that they've paid you, it now enables you to access a much larger marketplace. Um, and the guys at Indiegogo, you know, talk about that, the dollar perk a lot. Uh, Adam's big on those dollar perks. So um, food for thought. Now, uh, right before we go to break, I want to say that one of the things that, that really stands out in what you said, of the many, many standout points that you've made during the past 45 minutes that we've been together, is you, you said something about um, you know the, 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 the co-creator of your film or the co-creator of your project or the, or the people who are. And I think that's really an interesting and an intriguing way to look at it. You know, you go, well, I'm getting money from people, but they really are. I mean, and if you can appeal to that sense of people that they are, they may not have their hands there. It's like they're not in the brick-and-mortar store. But they certainly are uh, helping you create this project, whether it's financial or otherwise. They are a co-creator of the film. And, and you know, that is, uh, you know, I mean, I, I can't say, well, for $5, you know, I made this movie if, if that's what I invested. But I am a part of this movie, I mean, in a way that I wouldn't be, by helping it get made if I give $5 or $50 or $100 or whatever it might be. And and that and that notion is to me always been the intriguing thing about crowdfunding. 
Yeah, you're not. It's you know some some of us, especially because it's relatively new. Uh, you know, I go to these uh, when I put on talks, Rex. There's a tremendous amount of people in the audience who still never heard of crowdfunding. And at first exposure, a lot of people think, "Oh, I'm just you know holding out my hat, asking for donations." And that's not the case at all. What you're really doing is, like you said, you're allowing people to participate in something that they otherwise wouldn't be able to participate in. That can be very exciting for a lot of people. And on top of it, when they make um, you know a donation, they're not necessarily making a donation in the traditional sense. They're buying a perk, and that perk has value. So it's it's sort of like, well, what do you want? Do you want the dollar perk or do you want the five hundred dollar perk? And now it's sort of like um, they're going shopping and they get to choose which aspect of you know the movie they want to participate in and have a piece of. Uh-huh. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. All right, we're going to take a short break, Jason, and we'll be right back. I, I'm really oh. loving this. It's a, a fabulous hour. Before we go anywhere, let me say that Jason's website is filmmakingstuff.com, correct? Absolutely correct. It is filmmakingstuff.com. And you want to go and you want to check it out. You want to make sure that you go through each section and look at it. He's got fabulous information. He's also got great tools and great products available as well. And uh, you you have also coming out with a new book, or you came out with a new book? Uh, I did. Um, it's called Filmmaking Stuff, How to Make, Market, and Sell Your Movie Without the Middleman. And it's available on Amazon as a physical book as well as the Amazon Kindle. All right, excellent. And so we'll be right back with Jason Brubaker in just a moment. You're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official URL is rexsykes.com. Uh, that's my name. Again, leave comments before you... Uh, leave the show, whether you're listening live or archived, and help spread the word near and far by sharing the URLs to these interviews and to the website with all your friends and your industry connections and your colleagues, uh, because that helps us and helps my guests in in ways that go uh, beyond uh, most of the ways we can enumerate. So please continue to do that. My upcoming guests, I'm just going to tell you who some of them are, uh, is uh, Rex Piano, director Rex Piano. Uh, will be returning. He's uh, talked about uh, film and television. He's coming up on the 31st. Uh, screenwriter Frank Hanna, again, will he will be returning as well. He's uh, He wrote The Cooler and, and, and other films. He's going to be joining us um, uh, the, the, I have a flex date on, on Frank, so I'm not sure if he's on the 5th or, or what. We'll let you know. Peter Marshall's coming back on the 7th. Uh, we're continuing to talk in the director's series about working with actors, filming actors on the set, you know, blocking and, and all that. We've been talking about casting as well. David Winning, uh, uh, prolific director David Winning, is is uh, potentially available on the 14th. I'll let you know about that for sure. Uh, Patrick Girardi is a sound design, post-production sound. Uh, he's coming up on the 21st. Clint Howard, we're still trying to reschedule Clint and make sure we have a date there, plus uh, numerous other people. Uh, but we want to make sure that you uh, uh, stay tuned to Rex Sykes Movie Beat for all my fabulous guests. And go back and listen to all of the archives. And do yourself a favor, and that is subscribe to iTunes, the podcast, Rex Sykes Movie Beat, and download over 300 hours of, of fabulous professional filmmakers sharing their expertise and their secrets and their know-how with you. And never miss an interview or a discussion with one of these um, incredible resources. So go ahead and do that. And um, we'll take you back with uh, Jason Brubaker. Again, the website is filmmakingstuff.com. Uh, his new book out is available at Amazon and the Gas Kindle. So, uh, Jason, we're back. 
Well, I'm happy to be back, Rex. Um, you know, we, we've hit on quite a few different topics here uh, in terms of how to go out and really put together a project and get it out into the marketplace. Um, one of the things that I wanted to circle back on and, and cover in a little bit more detail is, I, and this is a belief, but I, I think in the future, and I don't know how long in the future, but I imagine the way things are progressing, it won't be too long, um, we're going to reach a point where there's no real delineation between what you experience as traditional television and the Internet. And what I mean is I believe everything is going to be on demand. And from that perspective, the question then becomes how do you, as a filmmaker, you know, uh, increase the sales of your particular uh, project or increase the views um, you know, depending on the platform. Some of the platforms, by the way, uh, the way it works is it's a transactional platform where somebody goes on and says, I want to buy your movie. And that would um, that's represented by Amazon and iTunes. Another one is an ad-based platform where somebody goes on and says, I'm going to just watch this movie, but in order to watch it, I have to sit through a few ads. Regardless of, you know, either way, you as a filmmaker are going to be responsible for sourcing at least the initial traffic out there to get them over to those points of sale so that you can get some eyeballs on your title. So one of the most important things I think that filmmakers need to, to, to um, add to their ever-growing um, uh, hat rack, if you will, yet another hat they need to wear, is become an Internet marketer or team up with somebody who is. And the reason why I say that is, I think the vast majority of your initial audience are people that are out there that are searching for things on the Internet. We keep using the, the example of a zombie movie. So let's say you're out there and you're searching for a zombie movie um, and, and you're a filmmaker and you made a zombie movie, then your goal should be, hey, these people are out there searching for a zombie movie. How do I get them to my website so that I can drive them in the direction I want them to go so that I can actually make a sale? I really, I really appreciate this. So the ways, the ways that you do that out there, you know, and I, and I mentioned very loosely become an Internet marketer. Well, there's people that are Internet marketers, and they devote their entire life to it. So if you're out there making movies, and at the same time you're like, oh, I need to become an Internet marketer, um, that may not be very appealing to you, and it may not even be reasonable. So... We've mentioned crowdfunding as a way to source your initial audience. But keeping up with that momentum, you've got to bring somebody on your team that understands the Internet. They know how to create websites for you. They know how to go out and source content, uh, get, get a lot of content on your site in the form of a blog that's very specific to the kind of audience that you're trying to attract. That way, your search engine rankings go up, and you can attract more and more targeted traffic to your website. Once that traffic comes to your website, then your next goal is to funnel that traffic in the direction you want them to go. Uh, with one of the zombie movies that we did, uh, we were very effective in generating word-of-mouth buzz out there so that our, our traffic, our Internet traffic, was awesome. And what we were able to do is we very much we simplified the site. We created a site that somebody arrived on the page, they were able to watch the trailer, and right under the trailer was a big buy now button. So there was no, <laughs> there was no um, confusion as to what we wanted people to do. 
Now, if they didn't click the Buy Now button and they tried to scroll away, we had something else set up, which was a pop-up that asked for a name and an email address. Um, and there's a couple variations on it. Some people create pop-ups that say, hey, become my Facebook friend. Um, regardless, what you're trying to do in that is uh, understand that a lot of people, even if they are targeted uh, potential audience members, you know, the people that want to see your type of movie, not everybody has the time to watch a movie right now. Not everybody's going to buy the first time they come to your website. And unfortunately, if somebody comes to your website that was semi-interested in your project and they click away, unless you've captured some of their information, the odds are very good that you will never hear from them again, as much as we don't want to believe that as filmmakers. So what we have to do is two parts. One is we have to drive targeted traffic to our website. We have to try to convert that traffic into a sale. And if we're unsuccessful with the sale, then the plan B is we've got to try to convert those folks into subscribers of our newsletter. And for those of you who've listened, that are listening to this and you've gone over to filmmakingstuff.com, I use the exact same model you know, with filmmaking stuff as I'm describing, which is you're going to come to the site, and within a few seconds of on the site, you're going to see a pop-up that says, hey, sign up for my newsletter. Uh, please provide me with your name and your email address, and you're going to get $47 of um, useful filmmaking tools. And what that does is that incentivizes you to hopefully, you know, become part of my uh, subscriber list so that I can build trust with you and build a relationship with you. Um, and then in turn, as more and more books and different things that I create come out, uh, you're going to know who I am. And you might, you know, maybe this year you buy my book, maybe next year I, I make, you know, I, I don't know, I make a movie or, or I do something else. Well, now you and I have that relationship and hopefully you'll want to, you know, buy my stuff. So think of it from a filmmaking perspective. You're a guy that makes, um, I don't know, you make really goofy romantic comedies. I mean, really zany. There's just something about your type of filmmaking that's memorable. Everybody seems to love your work on YouTube. Well, now your goal is to continually build an audience list, an audience of people who know you, know your work, so they're not just buying, you know, your first movie, but you're able to build a mailing list so that you can say, hey, I'm coming up with my next movie. Here's a link to my crowdfunding campaign. Will you please support me? And by the way, will you please share this with your friends? I got $1 perk. I got $25 perks. I got this great $500 perk. Um, and, and, and you can see, Rex, how you know, exponentially, maybe not your first movie, maybe not your second movie, but if you stick with this, over time you're going to become known to an audience of people who know you and know your work and like your work, assuming that you always do right by them and they come back for more because they're getting tremendous value out of what it is that you do. One of the things that excited me, and, and, I, and I love this, because one of the things that excited me was, you know, Louis C.K. sold his, you know, uh, $10 comedy, you know, CD or DVD, you know, direct-to-consumers online, and everybody heralded this. And and I was like, that's great, but, you know, Louis C.K. had a built-in audience. I mean, he's had people who've been following him for a long time. So he could offer direct to his fans, and and because he's got hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of fans, you know, uh, even a, even a tiny percentage is significant in terms of his sales. But for the most of us, you know, we don't have that kind of fan base. We, you know, we are maybe obscure filmmakers. We have, you know, the, the handful of people that like us. But but so what you're advocating is is that that constant 
you know, due diligence of work that allows somebody to cultivate uh, a base and grow the base and and cultivate loyal uh, uh, fans and followers by, you know, the various methods that you advocate so that down the road, I mean, technically, um, the day is foreseeable after who knows how many movies, but I mean, or what you need to do that you could then do the very same thing. You could direct market, direct sale uh, to your fan base. Yeah, it, it's, you know, and it's easy for me to get really passionate and excited about it because I, I happen to have a list of quite a few thousand people who know me and know my work. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, I feel very confident that for, and I'm trying to figure out my next movie project, but I'm going to do a crowdfunding campaign. And I feel very confident that, you know, I now have a base of people that I can approach uh, pretty rapidly and hopefully understand very quickly whether or not I have a good idea. And this is something that it's taken me nearly a half decade, you know, to build up that mailing list. So it doesn't happen overnight. So to the guys that are just starting out and are like, oh man, this sounds great, but I, I don't, I don't even, I don't even have a Twitter account. Well, a, you need to have all that stuff. Okay, these are fundamental social media tools that, regardless of whether or not you like the internet, you need to have these tools because this is the way the world's changing. But irregardless of whether or not you have a huge base or you're just starting to build your base, what it would behoove you to do right from the start is to go out and form alliances with people who have already built a tremendous following and see if you can't create a relationship so that there's some cross-promotion involved in that. Now, whether or not you want to compensate them in the form of cash or just ongoing accolades, is really up to whatever, um, you know, uh, deal you work out with these folks. But there are people out there, as you mentioned, that have already sourced a tremendously large target audience that aren't famous like uh, Louis C.K. But, you know, with that said, these guys, you have to understand, are getting hit up by everybody at this point because there's tremendous value in having that, that online following. So get started today. And five years from now, you may surprise yourself because now you have a couple thousand people on your mailing list. And the more people you have on your mailing list, the more self-sustainable your business is. Um, there's, a, there's a saying in Internet marketing that the money is in your list, and it's mostly Internet marketing nerds that say that. Um, but what they're really saying is, you know, every person that supports you and your work, you know, I feel like it's one step closer to you know, really running your own show and, and not being dependent upon, um, you know, these middlemen that I keep talking about that, that may or may not add value to your project. No, that's, that's, that is, that's excellent. Now, just, just to return uh, to the notion again, um, to, uh, maybe to enumerate or elaborate, you know, how, how do you source an audience? I mean, in other words, uh, let, let's go back a bit, uh, and, and I'll, sure. say, I'll tell you one, one, of, one of this is a selfish thing. I, I am a, a gun for hire director producer on a, on, a, on a short film project, not a feature film, but a short film project, and they're about to launch uh, their the crowdfunding campaign. So, uh, and uh, it will be on Indiegogo, as a matter of fact. So, okay. so. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, I've got my followers. I've got you know my Facebook, my Twitter, and things like that. But the other people who who are the you know the principal person whose company it is, who's doing this, may, may or may not. So, just tips and advice and suggestions. I, I, I say this selfishly, uh, but but for all out there in a similar in a similar situation. 
Well, absolutely. So here's one of the things, and there's many, 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 many ways to source an audience. Um, I'm going to try to answer this broadly, and then maybe if we can hit on some specifics about your project that might be universal to the listeners, uh, we'll do that as well. Uh, But broadly speaking, you have to have a very, very long-term perspective with your filmmaking career. Um, for me, I'm about 12 years in this now, and, and as you mentioned at the beginning, I've made numerous short films. I got sick of short films, uh, started working in features, um, and then out of that, because I've been rejected by so many distributors, because frankly, some of the movies I've made are just, they're not that great, Rex, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I've learned how to be a great marketer, so I can actually uh-huh. tell some of the stuff that, that, you know, usually the reviews aren't that great. Uh, I could care less about the reviews. What I care about is making sure that, you know, what I'm doing is, is actually creating a product and getting it out to market and getting it sold. Um, now, have you considered, have you considered, and, 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 with, and, and I, I don't mean to disparage in any way, shape, or form, but, but I, 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 would, I appeared briefly. I mean, literally, if you blink, I was, I was the, the dream dad in a sequence in a horror flick that, you know, is just is, is god-awful. Okay, I didn't know it was going to be that god awful until I saw it, and I saw it at a festival with uh, a bunch of people, and these people were hooting and hollering and laughing and screaming, and I just wanted to shrink and and kind of walk out of the room and go, I can't believe, you know, and and someone said, yeah, well, there's this huge market for schlock horror, and I went, well, yeah, I don't like schlock horror. I mean, to me, if I'm going to sit down on a Saturday night, but I have a friend who's a director who his thing is is you know all these like schlock horror films. I mean, he and his wife will sit there and, and sift through hundreds of hours worth of shows. Have you ever considered that if your movies, frankly, aren't that great to turn around and sell them the opposite way? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I was uh, part of one of the worst zombie movies ever made. And there I'm you okay go. Now you, um, now, you got, I, now, you get, now you got to herald that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also, uh, you know, a, a long time ago, I tried my hand at acting. I'm also the worst actor on earth, but um, the funny thing is, you know, the, I guess there's people out there, and, and you've heard this expression before, that actually like Brussels sprouts. I mean, there's there's a market for everything. Uh, right. I've hit I've hit on the horror genre a lot because people love to hate horror movies, and it's fun to talk about just how bad they are and how much they suck. And people Apparently. really go out of their way to mention that. And then other people are like, oh, I want to see how bad that is. That can't be that bad. Well, imagine if you're on a platform, and, I'll, and I'm not saying they'd accept this kind of uh, title or not. Uh, but a platform like Hulu that's ad-based. So the very interesting thing there is, let's say you have a website for your movie, you take the Hulu embeddable code, and you put it on the front page of your movie, uh, as a front page of your website. Somebody comes and watches the first ad uh, that comes across via Hulu, and guess what? Now Hulu is going to split that revenue with you as the filmmaker. They didn't, the person that visited your site just saw you know, five minutes of the worst movie they've ever seen, but you're still creating uh, a source of revenue. And the advertiser's happy right. because they're getting more targeted eyeballs on their particular ad. So it's win-win for everybody. Um, Very these are the kinds of things, you know, this is a world that we live in that, you know, you can hear the passion in my voice. I'm incredibly excited about all of that. But going back to your initial question, how do you source a, a target audience? Right. Let me just talk about the long-term perspective. You're a filmmaker and you want to make a bunch of movies, and you'd love to make a living making movies. Um, in a long-term perspective, I would say start out with your short films, especially if this is relatively new for you um, as filmmakers, and get those short films up on the YouTube 
so that you can start building a following on YouTube. And you can get audience feedback, and you can take that feedback and learn from your mistakes and keep churning out more and more content. Now, a short film, um, you know, it doesn't have to be overly complex. It just needs to be clever enough so that you can get it up there and get the kind of feedback you need um, so that you can learn from your mistakes. And I would say churn out, you know, 20, 30, 50 short films and really build a YouTube presence for yourself. In doing that, every time you write a description on YouTube, and, and this is just one way to source an audience, Rex, and I'll hit on a bunch of other stuff too. Uh-huh. Every time you, you upload a new YouTube video, make sure that the first thing that you write in the description is, is a link um, is a link back to your website so that when people see your movie and they like it, they click on, on that link, now they go back to your website, and that website has all of your YouTube short films embedded on the site. But the other thing that that site has is an opt-in form, a way for you to capture the name and the email address of the people who like your work. Now, some of you may say, well, they're already subscribing me on YouTube. Why do I need them on my individual mailing list? You need them on your individual mailing list because you need to have your audience in a place where you control uh, the outcome of the communication. For example, if YouTube were to change its policy, God forbid, and then one day they don't have any subscribers, well, you've just lost your whole fan base. You've just lost your business overnight. Um, the same is true for the social, social networking sites. A lot of people say, well, i got 20,000 friends on you know, social networking site, whatever. And to that I say, well, that's great, but I hope social networking site, whatever, doesn't go out of vogue. In our last conversation, Rex, I mentioned how I used to have 10,000 uh, filmmaker, uh, filmmaker enthusiasts on one of the uh, social networking sites. That, uh-huh. you know, and I won't mention names, but I'm sure we can all guess which one it is. Now that site's gone out of vogue, and I lost that entire business seemingly overnight. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, sadly amazing. Create the content. Create those videos. Get them up on YouTube. Bounce people back to your website capture them on your website. In addition to that, I would stay very genre-specific, especially for these 20, 30 films. I mean, I know as filmmakers, we all want to branch out, but why wouldn't you want to, just for the longevity of your career, start in a genre, build a huge following, um, and, and really stay true to that? And then that way, you don't shock anybody when you start making your feature films that are in the same genre. The other benefit to that is if you're sending all these people back to your website, um, you know, you're going to have a lot of people sticking around because they want to watch your other uh, videos as well. But the other thing to do on the website, let's say people are not finding your work through um, YouTube. The other thing to do to your website is you've got to have a blogging component. And that blogging component should have articles related um, to the kinds of things that the people interested in your genre like to read. So, you know, I keep mentioning it, but the horror genre you may very well, you know, have a have a review aspect of your website where you review movies that are very genre specific. So I just saw the Chernobyl Diaries yesterday. Um, most of my friends think that it's crap, but I was I was so scared, Rex. I had to I had to walk out of the theater and and go to the bathroom like extra long. Not that I was in the bathroom extra long, but that's what I told everybody. I was uh-huh. so scared. I had to walk out of the theater, which is wow. ridiculous. I was just in that kind of mood where I was just, the movie's not that great, I guess, but, man, there was something really eerie about it. 
With that well, said, cool. I could go out if I had yeah, if I was running a horror movie business, I would write a review about that movie and share that feeling and share that funny story and get my personality into it. And heck, I might even include uh, uh, just a video of me talking to the audience so that now I have text and I now have a video right on my blog website that is getting picked up by search engines. And, you know, that might attract that particular video uh, and blog article might attract 10 visitors this month, period. But if I do that every day and constantly update it, well, now that's like 10 people a day. Um, and now you have 10 blog uh, articles that are each attracting 10 people a day. Now you're up to 100 people a day. And that's really how you grow this kind of stuff. You just produce massive amounts of content. But the good news is as filmmakers, we're already apt to produce content anyway. That's what we want to do is produce stuff. Um, some of us may not be the best writers, right? So in that sense, get somebody on your team that wants to write about, in this, uh, in this example, horror movies. And if you really have a hard time finding people that want to write about horror movies, uh, then just, um, you know, pay some people to write some articles about horror movies. Uh, you could go out to places like Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R.com, and pay $5, and somebody will write you a nice 400-word article. Um, and whether or not you want to make that a ghostwriter where you take credit for the article and everybody's perfectly okay with that because you've just paid for that, or you actually credit the writer. I mean, that stuff's entirely up to you. Um, but the point here is you've got to have consistent content, consistent updates, consistent information that people want to consume, especially when they're sitting around, you know, bored at the job that they hate, and they're just going on the Internet on their lunch break. I mean, that's how you've got to think of this. And as you're increasing that Internet traffic, you just keep growing your list. And over time, and it's not going to happen overnight, but over time you're going to have a few thousand people on your list. And then it's really powerful when you're ready to go out and make a feature. You know, I, I saw this example with the, the gentleman, Ryan Koo from No Film School. He's a great guy. He went out and did a crowdfunding campaign. He had been running No Film School for a long time. He built a following. Uh, he was really great because he made a lot of web content that was award-winning um, and he was really just targeting an audience of people that were interested in the same stuff that he's interested in. And then one day he, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm ready to make my first feature film. I need to raise X number of dollars. I, I think he ended up raising Rex over $100,000. Very um, cool. It wasn't an easy task for him, and he'll tell you that. I mean, he worked his butt off. But this is an example of somebody that went out and started small, one blog article at a time, and now, you know, had successfully built that following, and guess what? Now when it's time to create the movie and actually have a product that's ready for the marketplace, well, he already has a whole bunch of people that support him that are, that are going to be, you know, they're going to end up buying that movie. Exactly. Um, one, you know, and, and this is just how we've got to think about these things. So it's not, you know, it, it's not easy. Well, what, what I like, Jason... Well, just what I like is is the thought that you put into this, the idea that you're you know you're work, you're building a plan and working the plan. It is a, it's a step by step uh, approach to it, you know it may not happen overnight, but it, it's a realistic approach to making something happen in an amount of time. You know that you can target and that you can measure the results. And that's I mean most people in business nowadays the, the ability to measure results, the ability to say, you know what I sold, I moved ten units 
and made X amount of dollars, and it cost me X amount of this, and I, I subtract that from that, and you know, here's 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 where I've profited, and here's you know, I mean, it, it's it's phenomenal, and I think it, uh, that more and more people are are understanding that today, that that in many ways we have been given the ultimate gift as filmmakers, and that is what we started with the idea that you take responsibility and control of your filmmaking career. Uh, certainly there's still a huge studio component in which people, you know, their their lives are governed and run by, by even if it's an independent studio market. I mean, you know, the big Hollywood, the the, the facade, the Hollywood in quotes that used to exist, that doesn't exist anymore. There's there's a mainstream way of doing things. But but you and I and the, and the, the vast majority of people listening who are independent filmmakers can do things now that they've never been able to do before uh, in a cost-effective way. And, and they can access, they can even now, as, as you and I are talking about it today, they can even access people who can help them get their movies made by donating or contributing or by buying a perk. Um, fascinating, fascinating time we live in. i, I got to say, you know, and, and it's funny to me that I still hear people, you know, sometimes when I give these talks at festivals that, that um, you know, they come up to me afterwards and they're like, this is, it sounds interesting, but really... Um, I, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't think it's for me. And I have to think like, if these people were were doing this stuff ten years ago, you know, when in order to make a movie, like for me, I had to, I saved up all summer to buy a sixteen millimeter camera, and then save up some more money to buy rolls of film, and then I spent all day shooting the movie, and then I got to save up money to go get that film processed and transferred to video so that I can finally edit it. All of that work for something I could just go down to my local electronics store and buy like a, you know, one of these Canon cameras and just go out and right. have cinematic quality video tonight. I mean, really, you know, why aren't you in the streets celebrating? <laughs> I don't mean you, Rex, because you probably yeah, are, because you you understand because right. you remember when this was really tough and cost prohibitive. And you're going to see me doing the Snoopy dance on Sunset Boulevard one of these days. <laughs> I will dance I in the street. But I understand why you would want to, and there's a lot of yeah. us that have been doing this for a while, you know, that, gosh, I, I think this is the best time on earth to make movies. When else in history could, I mean, you, you know, when else in history could you reach a target audience? All those examples that I just gave of updating YouTube videos and writing blog entries, minimal cost, and it's all search engine-based free traffic, you know, over time. But- I do, but I do understand there is a certain component of it. For example, I grew up in the movie business. Most of my career, I've been agented or managed in my public speaking career, in my seminar career. I've been agent or managed. You know, for me to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to take over what everybody else does and do it, to me seems like a nightmare. You know, it seems like an awful lot of work that I don't want to do because I'd rather be out doing something else. And so I understand the people who go to film school saying, I, yeah, I just want to shoot my movie and edit it. And the people who go to business school going, wow, I'm looking for a right business opportunity. Now, if that same mindset exists in both hemispheres of a human being where they go, wow, I have the ability to not only shoot and edit my movie but to market it and get it to a target audience, as you just said, then yeah, that yeah. person is going to go, wow, you know, we're ripe with opportunity, where the other person is going to go, well, that sucks. Nobody's going to take my movie and do all the work for me. I mean, I, mean, I, I, understand, I do understand both yeah. sides. I, I um, understand it as well, and, and you just have to understand that I'm coming to this from a from perspective that I absolutely hate the idea of going out and waiting for somebody else to give me permission yeah. to do what it is that I want to do. You know, yeah. and that's how I look at it. I would rather, you know, 
I would rather own the corporation than climb the corporate ladder. And that's a very entrepreneurial way to look at this. And not everybody has that mindset. And there's pros and cons to everything. I have a lot of mainstream friends that work in Hollywood, um, and we have these conversations, and half the time they think that the stuff I'm talking about is like I'm on outer space or something. And I understand that. Well, there are the worker bees and there's the you know the queen bee kind of thing. I mean, and 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 everybody has a place. I mean, I'm not and I believe me, I, I didn't mean that in any kind of pejorative sense. No, I don't. I don't think it. Because I, I go, I go tomorrow if I could get a good good paying studio exec position or a good paying studio grip position or something, you know, where my pension and welfare and everything's being taken care of and. You know, I'd be able to collect a check and feed for my kids. I'd be a happy person if I were making the the life, you know, doing what I wanted to do and making the money I wanted to be making. For the other person, they want to, you know, they want to start their own business, you know, and they want, you know, whether they're manufacturing shoes or manufacturing movies, uh, and they want to be in charge. Uh, so, you know, but 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 there are different likes for different people. I mean, you, you, we're you know correct to that. So, yeah. hey, Jason, you know what? I, I think we're out of time. We're out of time. Hey, can I can I hit you up and say, can you come back in the next within the next month? I, I sure can. Maybe we'll maybe we'll uh, ask the audience, you know, what what they'd like us to talk about in further detail and, and really get a good idea and cover some of those points. Absolutely, absolutely. But if I can figure out a time and a place and a well, a time we know the place, Rexikes dot com. But we but we, and I know the time. It'll be like you know, eleven a.m. Eastern and eight a.m. Pacific. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll select a date. We'll have you come back. And talk because I know that even in the conversation that we have got going, there's there's more stuff to to uh, to talk about, and we we'll talk about your book and talk about other things that you're doing, and uh, the, this notion of crowdfunding and the upside and downside of certain elements and all that. And we'll we'll see what the listeners ask us uh, to to bring to the table of their conversation. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's cool. So stay tuned. We'll have Jason Brubaker Part Three coming up sometime soon. That will be announced. Uh, he will he will join the the roster of upcoming <laughs> guests because I think this is an important topic and I and I and I always like to kind of strike while the iron is hot. We're talking about this, and rather than have it wait you know months to get you know the next kind of installment, I'd I'd rather try and I'd slide it in soon and and make sure that that we can kind of uh, round out the conversation. Having said that, it is filmmakingstuff.com. Filmmakingstuff.com is Jason's website. He's got lots of good tools and lots of good product there you're going to want to check into. Make sure that you do it. Uh, there's Filmmakingstuffbook.com, right? Is that the website that takes take the right to the book? Filmmaking Stuff, How to exactly, Make yeah. and Sell Your Movie Without the Middleman. Again, Filmmaking Stuff, How to Make, Market, and Sell the Movie Without the Middleman. Available at Amazon, available as a book or a Kindle, and um, Filmmakingstuffbook.com. All right. Jason, you've been fabulous. I really do appreciate you sharing your expertise and your know-how and your knowledge with us today. And uh, I, w- I wish we could continue, but we are really um, out of time. And so uh, I will let the audience know. You and I will talk in just a minute or so just to kind of confer. Maybe we can even pick a date then. And then we'll make, And if not, we will in the, in the near future. We'll let the listeners know when that will be. Um, deal? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Well, thank you so much. You've been you've been great. I really appreciate this. Thanks so much for sharing this information with us all. Welcome. My pleasure. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Mr. Jason Brubaker, again, one more time, filmmakingstuff.com. Oh, and his Twitter address, at filmmakingstuff, filmmakingstuff at Twitter. All right. So I forgot to ask about that. 
and he is on Facebook. So go ahead and look him up, Jason Grubaker, on Facebook, or or I believe filmmaking stuff is on Facebook. I should have asked about that before we we uh, left. Anyway, um, I want to thank you for joining us today. Please do leave comments before you go. Leave them right there at the player. Now, depending on the kind of player browser that you are using, whether it's Chrome or Safari or whatever the different kinds of uh, the, the comment window may or may not be visible until after the player closes down. For most people, like what I see is I see the comment window right underneath the chat window, or if the chat isn't open for me, then I see it right underneath the the player. But you may not. So if you have to wait, if it's not visible, please wait until it does become visible and leave a comment. That would be appreciated. If you get this as a as a podcast and rate and review the podcast, that helps us so much. Do tweet about it. Do put it on Facebook. Do use your Pinterest or Google Plus or whatever your favorite social media means is to share these interviews and the websites, the URLs. And, and my guests uh, near and far and everywhere. I really do appreciate it. You can become a friend of mine on Facebook. It's Rex Sykes Movie Beat on uh, Facebook. And uh, hit the like button there and become a, a friend on Facebook. I really would appreciate that. Uh, you can follow me at Twitter, Rex Sykes Movie BT, Rex Sykes Movie BT. And, yes, we are launching a Serum the Movie Indiegogo fundraising campaign. All right, so if you're listening, know that Serum the Movie will be uh, launching an Indiegogo campaign. And if you're my friend and you will, you can help us by spreading the word, sharing, uh, donating, or buying a perk, or whatever that may be, um, uh, and taking a look at it. We'll let you know when that is, both probably on the air when it's going. It's going to launch in the next day or two uh, from this recording, uh, which is the 29th of May, so it's coming up. And uh, and you can help support us that way. Serum the Movie, and, if, and we're also on Facebook, Serum the Movie, the short film. And you can follow Serum the Movie on Twitter at Serum the Movie. It's S E R U M, like Serum, like Truth Serum. Serum the Movie. All right, everybody, everybody, keep in mind that I've got other fabulous guests coming up in the near future. Jason will be back. We've got Rex Piano coming up next. We've got Frank Hanna coming back, and Peter Marshall, and Peter Girardi, and, and, uh, David Winning and, and director and all sorts of fabulous guests. So stay tuned. Keep listening. Keep sharing the website with uh, all of your friends and your contacts. And everybody have a fabulous day. Make your movies and complete your projects. And until we meet the next time, that is a wrap. <laughs>